Welcome to Estrepreneur, a podcast for entrepreneurs doing business and life God's way. Each week, we discuss biblical and practical tips to improve your mind, business, spirit, and finances. Listen along as I speak with special guests on how to thrive in all aspects of life. Hi, I'm Edna, a certified John Maxwell executive coach and trainer and founder of Favor and Wealth, where we help the good guys win. So tune in as we bring on the life. Well, hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm so glad you guys tuned in today. Um, Let us know where you guys are tuning in from um, by commenting below. And I'm just very excited about today's show because um, one of the things that I love speaking to are uh, individuals who has a story and this woman of God has a story and I know it's going to bless you tremendously. Um, I read her bio and did a little research about what, um, what she does and I'm just so excited because she'll be giving you guys some wisdom nuggets that you can apply in your life and your business and, um, and then I know that um, you guys will learn some things that's going to help transform your mind, you know, transform your spiritual life. And it's all about um, being obedient. And also what I love about this woman is she's <laughs> a prayer warrior. Okay. And so I know this is huge, um, especially because for those of you guys who have been believers for a long time, you know, that nothing happens in this world without praying, right? So it takes our partnership with the Lord and allow basically petitioning to the father, what his desires is for the world because we co-labor with him. And so I'm definitely excited to hear um, um, her story. And so without further ado, Chris Taylor, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and then, um, and how, um, I guess what your specialty is? Of course, I'm so glad to be here and I really appreciate this. Calling in from my little town of Wrightwood, California. I stuck the dog into my son's bedroom so it wouldn't bark at us and I might have a cat jump up, but we'll try to keep that from <laughs> happening. I love working for myself. Love, love, love. So about 15 years, actually uh, about 20 years ago, probably, I started telecommuting. 15 years uh, worked for myself. Mm-hmm. My driver was my son, who was born when I was 42, my one and only, completely unexpected. Uh-huh. I was married, but talk about a life surprise. Who at 41 years old thinks, oh, I could get unexpectedly pregnant. I better take care. No, nobody does that. So God was like, Chris, I want you to have a baby. I'm like, all right. So largely, honestly, because of my son, because I was the sole breadwinner, even when I was married and then we divorced. Yeah. And so I was a single mom and I was so grateful for a good job. I was a journalist, but it was a long commute. And I was so mad. My company was great. They were very understanding. They were very wonderful, but I couldn't always just leave. And I was really mad about missing my son's little school plays. So I said, Lord, I just don't want to commute anymore. And it took a year and a half. I studied work at home because back then it just was not as popular and and easily available as it is now. And um, God worked it and I worked hard and he worked for me and answered my prayer. And a year and a half later, I was telecommuting. And then uh, later I was able to work for myself, but I never commuted ever. I haven't commuted a day in my life for 15, almost 20 years. And what a blessing being a single mom without financial help 
and uh, being able to work at home and support my boy. So uh, that's actually a lot of my history is the child that yeah. God gave me so unexpectedly. Yes, and it's definitely a divine blessing. I I, yes. I gave birth late at 36, right? That's when I, and I, you know, 41, you said 41, is, it, is that what you said? 41 when I got pregnant, 42 when I had yeah. it. So you so can relate, 36 I, for your first I know, job. because trust me, everyone's been giving like, okay, and I'm, you know, they're like, okay, Edna, your body, you know how they say all those different things. And I'm like, mm-hmm. look, it's time is right, it's going to happen. And I didn't realize how, time-consuming, you know, because you, you see the you see the shows and you hear people do it, but it's so fulfilling and so rewarding and probably the yes. gift I could ever receive from the Lord. And I thought that it was going to stop me, but it really just motivated me even more, you know. It, ta- it takes up time, obviously, and yes. but it grows your heart. Yes. Your heart just expands. Yes. And it's really astonishing to right. see. Right. You don't think how, like, I didn't realize what love was until I yes. became a mom. I don't know if that makes sense. And mind you, I have a lot of people that I love and I care about. Of course you do. But it's just like, it's such a different, uh, I mean, for you mothers, you guys get it, but it's such a different type mm-hmm. of love that words can't explain. And it just made, drew me closer also to the father. When I became a parent mm-hmm. and I saw the relationship, like the, how I look at my child and that's how God looks at That's us. how God looks at you. Exactly. You know, exactly. So I could go off on a tangent there, but I love that you mentioned that, you know, that being a mom, you know, that, that kind of started your journey and your transformation. And It did. And, it um, truly did. And we're definitely going to hear a little bit more. So tell us a little bit about how you came to know Jesus. I, yes, I was born and grew up in a Christian home. Now that doesn't, sometimes that'll push you farther away from Jesus, right? Yeah. Although I really believe that when, yeah, that when kids grow up in an honestly Christian home, as opposed to a twice a year church pew, you yeah. know, then they certainly, I think we'll come back to it in a later life. But I always was at nine because my mom believed, I think rightly, that people need, a lot of us need to point back to an actual time and say, to that day, right. I became a new creature in Christ. So I was nine because I could understand what it meant. I've always been Christian. Um, uh, went through some unbelievable rebellions when I was in my 30s, things I still cannot believe that I did. I was still saved, but God got me out of that. I repented, settled down, you know, and even after, uh, yeah, two divorces, the whole business. But, you know, even through that, I repented for it. And sure, there were some consequences, but also have my son. I had a heart that had been broken and healed again. Um, And so I shouldn't have done it. But God blessed me because that's what he does. Yeah. He went through the passion was crucified for us. But his resurrection is also for us. Yeah. So that's that's my story. And I never stopped praying. Even I was sinning big time and knew I was. I still knew I had to pray. So there was one time, uh, partly because of the life I was leading, partly because of the people I was around, lovely people, but not believers. Yeah. Um, I, all, I came very close to losing my faith. And some people, the way that they describe it, when they did lose their faith, it's like, well, you know, it's no big deal. Well, blah, blah. I was crying all the time. I was freaking terrified to lose my faith because I believe it all. That help here heaven there. I'm, I believe it. And, and the danger of not believing anymore was terrifying, but I'm intellectually honest. 
wasn't sure if I could believe. So God did two things for me. One, he reminded me of a tremendous miracle that I had been fortunate enough to witness about 10 years earlier. I mean, full on forces of light and darkness stuff. I was like, well, I was there. I know that happened. And the second thing reminded me of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, which is an apologetic for Mm -hmm. why the Christian faith makes perfect intellectual sense as well as experiential. So through those two experiences, I was like, yes, I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) And I never seriously questioned my faith, questioned God a bunch of times. Things happen in this world. You're like, why? But never threatened the foundation of faith, who is Jesus Christ and him crucified, as Paul says. I love that. I'm also a doctorate of ministry. So I'm not the PhD. I'm not an academic, but I'm Dr. Chris Taylor and have that deep in because I was so interested in going as deeply as I could into Christian spiritual formation based on creativity in Christ. So that's where we are. Well, thank you for, thank you for bringing that up. I, I did see that in your, um, in your email, Dr. Chris Taylor, but I, for some reason, I thought it was meant something else. (laughs) Anybody, doctors all over the place, I right? Know, you know, I thought, it, but I thought it was like a nickname or something, you know, like, oh. a, like a social media brand, you know, kind of thing. Right, right. Like the brand doctor. Yeah, you know, the copy like doctor, that. right? So I, I apologize. People use it all the time. A, a friend of mine is an entrepreneur. She's a coach, right? Uh-huh. For, for a health coach. Yeah. And she always tells me she's going out to work at Panera. So I thought that she was part-time working while she built her business, which uh-huh. is didn't realize till a week ago that she's bringing her computer to Panera to work and she's been full-time for two years, oh two years. See, that's what happened. This is what happens when you don't ask the question, Edna. Right. Assume, you know, don't assume, you know, it is, you know, I, I, thank you for sharing that. No, but I wanted to go back to what you just said about, you know, um, um, just divorce because I actually, yes. I don't know if you knew this, Chris, Dr. Chris Taylor, how would you like Dr. Chris. Oh, Chris is fine. Actually, okay. I say informally Dr. Chris, but just Chris okay. worked fabulously. All so right, I'm Chris. Chris. Um, I just wanted to say that I, I went through a divorce as well. You know, like I went through an abusive marriage, unfortunately, Ooh. and I strayed away from the Lord and then got married to, uh, you know, a thing. But, you know, it's interesting how you said that the Lord, you know, was still, and obviously I, I, the reason why I found my ex-husband was because I was in the world, you know, I was, uh-huh. I, yes. you know, you get blinded and everything, but it's just amazing. Like how you said, it's like, even though you were in the midst of sin or in the midst of darkness, yes, I was. you mm-hmm. still knew that God loved you. You yes. still knew that he was there. You still knew that he cared. And it's like, if anything, you had to stop, um, um, blocking that love, if that makes sense. Yes. It's like, it's that, like you yes. don't deserve the love. And so it's like, you're your own worst enemy type of thing where God loves you regardless. And yeah, you feel bad, but the guilt is not, God, condemnation is not of God, you know, That's he right. convicts you, you know, but I love that, you know, can you, and I, I know that there are listeners here who have gone through a divorce and pain and I, I know what it's like, but you know, I have my own journey, but can you walk us through on how you, um, did you ever deal with unforgiveness, you know, towards your ex-husband? Like what, what, how did that journey look like to where, you know, you um, went fully a hundred percent to the Lord? Um, what, what mm-hmm. was that aha moment? Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, 
it, I absolutely do mind, do not mind sharing because I'm seriously an open book and I'll tell somebody anything, whether they want to hear from me or not. But so <laughs> it's really true. Um, so I was actually married twice. Okay. Um, I, my first husband, I had divorced and, and I will be honest with you, this, this is actually the, uh, the source of the sin. We were in an open marriage. Um, now he had been, he did not think he believed in Christ anymore in later life. Cause we did keep up. He did. He came back to Christ. Right. And yeah. I never really left, but we had an open marriage. And that's the part that I look back and say, I can't believe I did that. Cause I was never involved with a lot of men, never had a lot of sexual partners. It just wasn't my thing. I didn't care, but we did it anyway. And um, I repented from it and I left and married the man I was in love with. Right. So the only positive I can say about that time is that my, my first husband was a nice man. We were both really screwed up. We made terrible choices mm -hmm. and we didn't go behind each other's backs. I, <laughs> that's the best I can say. <laughs> Now I changed my life. I was never going to do that again. I never did. Yeah. Um, I was already a little older. So I married uh, uh, my second husband, Alan, when I was 35, I think. Yeah. And my first marriage was at 30. So I do everything yeah. late, everything yeah. late. And that, again, a good man. We're, we're friends now. We're close friends now. Yeah. Uh, we certainly weren't back then. That's when I had my baby and it was very unexpected for both of us. And, um, there were a lot of things, but I ended up asking for the divorce. It was not sexual sin. It was other yeah. things. Yeah. And he agreed. So um, we did it. We are in fact, and we joke about this, still married. We're like every year we're like, should we get divorced? And we're like, okay. And then we never oh. do it. So <laughs> I actually got the papers. I'm ready to file the papers at the court. Oh, but after that, the second one, the separation really, but it's been yeah. years and um, yeah, 20 years. I had a young son anyway, and I like men fine, but I didn't like him that much. So you know, I'm like, no, I'm done. I'm done. I can't pick a good guy. I'm good. So yeah. I'm happily single to this day. Never intend wow. to change. Although wow. I have many people, including my parents, of wonderful marriages, absolutely believe in that. But that was not God's path for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's very interesting. Did you write a book about your journey about that? Because I know you're an author. I'm just, I'm just like, how is that like an open marriage? I know, I, know. I possibly should, even to before that. This is not with either my husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two abortions took me 20 years to uh -huh. recover. And believe yeah. me, I understand. I'm not going to ever say anything against any person who makes that choice because sure. abortion is, I don't think it's right, but I also understand it because most mothers are terrified and feel alone and abandoned and don't know what to do. And believe me, I understand. So for me, however, it did take 20 years to forgive myself, wow. uh, which happened in a very conservative church, which is having anti-abortion Sunday. I didn't know or would have been there because I couldn't stand talking about abortion because I didn't want to think about it. Wow. And um, the only reason I didn't leave church, I was sitting in the front row, big church, and I want to be rude. And the pastor suddenly stopped and said, right in the middle, of, of everything just before he started his sermon. And he said, I wasn't going to have the usual three or four person prayer circles, which we usually do, but God just told me to do it. The Holy Spirit just told me to do it. So I stood up with three complete strangers, uh, a man and woman who were a lovely couple, another young man. And I broke down in tears and I confessed my two abortions. Now I knew my children were in heaven, but 
I don't know what else. And I'd had my Alex by then. I wow. had my son yeah. by then. And, um, and the other young man broke down and said his girlfriend had just aborted their wow. children. So we we're both heartbroken. And this lovely couple just brought us in and prayed for us. Yes. And I was healed. Yes. So maybe I should do a memoir. I don't know. But God has brought me through. And a lot of it was my horrible decisions. Right. And right. He didn't say, well, just because like you said, we don't do that to our kids. We're like, straighten up a fly right, boy. You know, we're like, we take them into our arms and say, well, honey, you really messed up. We'll get through this together. I love that. That's who God is. I love that. And I, and I, I think this is really important and relevant because a lot of times, you know, you only hear kind of like the judge God where, where, you know, it's like, you know, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And you just feel like more awful and awful and awful. Yes. And it's like, okay, for those people who truly love God, but make poor decisions um, because of deception or because of temptation or whatever it is, you know, what message can you give to those who made those, can you give some encouragement to those oh. who have had just, just say a few things, because I think, especially now, because I truly believe um, Chris, is that the lost sheep is coming back. Those who have truly um, strayed away from, you know, not because for the decision, but not even because of the sin, but because they're afraid of what yes. they did and they don't want to forgive themselves and they, they don't want to accept the Father's love. It, I, I get it. Like, it's just because you feel like oh. you're undeserving. Mm. So can you share, you know, a, some, an encouragement to those who may be listening who have, you know, sinned against God and don't know how to go back to the Lord and just receive, you know, his, his, his love because it's unconditional. Yes, absolutely. There's a, a famous poem, I think, um, I want to say the late 1800s, been around a long time, called The Hound of Heaven. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really about God, the Holy Spirit pursuing someone who was unsaved because the poet was unsaved and God really pursued him through the years. But I think it also, also absolutely applies because when your kid, when you have sinned big time, we all sin all the time, right? We confess what we know. A lot of things I don't think we don't even know because of our culture. We grow up steeped in sin. We don't even know what perfection looks like. Yeah. But the big sins we do know, right? And we're just yeah. not ready to accept forgiveness or even with abortion. I couldn't even allow myself to think about it. I couldn't. I couldn't. I, could, I couldn't even go that far. God wants us to confess, not because he's like, I told you so. But because we need to, mm. we need to confess, not because we will lose our salvation, not if we still believe, but we'll lose so much of our purpose, so much of our joy. Oh, good. If we do it right away, I knew the open marriage was wrong. I wasn't, I was only in it for about a year and I thought, this is for the birds. This is horrible. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing this anymore. And I was able to seek forgiveness fairly quickly, not easily, because I was so angry at myself. But it didn't take nearly as long as the other did to say, I accept forgiveness because I changed. It was something I could change. Right. Something I could do something about, and I did. Uh, but with the other one, 20 years, see, I believe that God wants to bring us to repentance as quickly as we are able to do so. This is a process. He knows that. Yeah. But when we are unwilling to even remember what we did, which mm -hmm. was for me, the abortion, uh, the abortions, Yes. Then he pursued and pursued and pursued and pursued and pursued me until he had me go to church ignorantly, not knowing it was anti-abortion Sunday. And I thought I would have a heart attack. Wow. Thought I would have a heart attack. 
But because here's the thing, when your little kid toddles close to the edge of a cliff, you don't just say, oh, honey, you should come back. Be careful. You make a jump for him. That's right. And you knock him down if you have to, to get him away from that cliff. And you might scare that child who didn't realize it. Yes. Well, you're not going to let your kid fall off a cliff oh, I or run that. into traffic because you love him. I love that. Oh my gosh. Chris, like that just like, even like my heart is just like, I can just feel God's hand of love. And, and, and really it's, you're right. Like he loves us so much that he will do whatever he can to get our attention. And he, exactly. he's so strategic. And that's the thing is he never gives up on us ever. Yes. Ever. Yes. Thank you. Never does. We have to turn to him ultimately free will, but he yes. doesn't give up. Yes, and that's the kind of God that we serve for those who guys are listening um, who might not know Jesus and who might not know, you know, this type of love. And that's, you know, that's why I serve him with every aspect of my being because oh, it's amen so, and amen. I just want to, you know, just I'm so grateful and just so thankful to be able to call him father because like I said, I've never experienced that type of love. And the closest thing that I could think of it is becoming a parent. That's, yes. the, that's the only way yes. for me to truly, you know, see that, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about your why, um, Chris. Like, why do you do what you do? Sure. The, um, the, the, the copywriting, obviously, was so I could support my son and me. Very grateful for it. I still am. Because yeah. even though I'm really rotten with money and I hate, um, uh, not dishonesty, mismanagement, because sure. I get so anxious. And uh, horrible marketing. I'm just terrible. And it was a, quite a miracle that I did well <laughs> in spite of those two things. So God allowed me to do that. Then, tw gosh, 25 years ago, well before I went freelance, God gave me a vision. I was at Huntington Gardens in uh -huh. Southern California, uh, uh, Sierra Madre near LA. And I was watching a coupon. And God gave me a vision of a women's retreat center, a Christian wow. retreat center. And I thought, I'm supposed to do this. Now, 25 years later, I haven't won the lottery. I don't know about you, but <laughs> I'm not going to marry again, so I'm not going to try to find anybody rich. And I'm like, well, Lord, if you're going to get this retreat center built, it's got to be you. And God says, it was me all along. It was going to be me all along. You wait and work for the miracle. So within that, I supported my son and I with the copywriting. That was a great experience. And yes. I still love the clients I have. Yes. But um, also along the way, I wanted to get my doctorate. I already had my master's from Fuller for many years yes. ago in biblical theology. Wanted to add the doctorate to it. So God helped me find a rigorous program that I could do online without residency, which is a good trick, very frankly. Yeah. I was able to do that. So that was exciting. And um, then decided, look, I've had this particular novel, half written, literally half written, right in between, for 30 years, time to finish it. And he led me to the wow. resources I needed to do that. That was the first of the novels. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me back up. The actual, the, my first full-length book was, uh, is nonfiction. And I did that as part of my dissertation. That's right. Since been published. Called The Devil Came Down to Chinatown. It's nonfiction, but it's narrative nonfiction. So it's the story. It's many wow. stories of in the late, 19, the late 1800s. Uh, the West Coast cities, um, uh, um, Vancouver, Seattle, Portland, San Diego, Los Angeles, and, and uh, San Francisco were hotspots for enslaved Chinese women. 
being brought over on steamers, some of them with promises of finding a man, a, a respectable husband, in the Chinatowns that each yeah. one of these cities had. Yes. Some of them were outright kidnapped from mainland China or Hong Kong. And they were brought under false promises. Then they were put in brothels that were jails. These women were not allowed to leave. Right. They had to service five or six Chinese because the whites didn't go there. Five or six Chinese laborers a night. They had children there. Their life expectancy, if they were lucky, was four years, four years. Mm -hmm. And the children were growing up in the brothels. And you can imagine what yeah. happened. Oh, yeah. So what happened was, and this, you know, this was late 1800 United States. So, you know, manifest destiny and the whites are the saviors of mankind. But again, it was their culture. Uh, white yeah. Christians didn't know better at that time, but they did God's will, even within the wrongs of that particular culture. So God told them, help these women. And it was not popular in the white church to help Chinese, who were mostly the miners and the railroad workers. It was not all popular to help the women because they were all prostitutes. Right. The ones that needed help were yes, prostitutes. Yes, yes, yes. And um, so these church women from both the Presbyterian churches and what was at, at that time Methodist, Methodist Episcopal, which would later join and become the United Methodist Church, and I mean the United Methodist, got together, these women, these white middle-class women, and they said, we have to do something. So they did something. They made two separate houses where rescued women to come in, taught to speak English, taught skills like handwork, yeah. and they could marry or become a respectable maid or even own their own businesses. Yeah. And later on, it became obvious that a lot of these women could not get out, so they're trying to kill themselves instead. So the, the white women uh, uh, went with axes, I am not kidding you, and would literally knock in the door of these brothels. They knew where the hidden rooms were because they sent in spies. They would take an ax to the, to the wood, fake wood walls, and take out women and children. Wow. They became experts in the courts because this was the Chinese Tong, was the gang that was behind it. In San Francisco is where this action takes place. And... Um, so, you know, so they got to be experts on, on, on the courts and which judges to see, which lawyers would take these cases. And then the book ends with the San Francisco earthquake of 1906. Both houses, both missions were destroyed, completely destroyed, shaken down to the foundations. And then as the fire swept over the city, because that's what happened at the end yeah. of it, the gas mains were broken because of the earthquake. And when the fire department tried to backfire by exploding buildings, the fire actually spread and so much of the city was lost. Most of Chinatown was completely burned. Yeah. So here were these two separate women with two separate young women and children, yeah. many of them babes in arms, the, the, the former prostitutes kids. And God led each separate group through the burning streets. Not one life was lost, not one injury, till both of them were able to make it to the bay and the safety opposite the bay in wow. San Anselmo and the Anselmo Seminary. Oh my gosh, it's just astonishing. And it's all real. It reads like a crazy novel, but it's all completely real. I didn't have to make up a thing. Wow. So it's how, so cool. I know, but how, so how did you, how did you, do you just do a lot of research and stories? Like, how did you come up with that, like, uh, 
you just like to, you're just a creative genius or you can, well, oh, I don't have a creative genius. No, no, no. I'm a story, no, no. I'm a storyteller. I'm a storyteller. You, you, that's one thing I think that I'll, you really tell great stories and your, your uh, presentation skills is, is really amazing, actually. Thank you. So what is your inspiration? Like what, what do you, how do you pick and choose your stories? Like, is there something, do you have like a formula or just something that kind of, that you go off? Like, what, I guess, how does, tell us how your mind works. Okay. I, I'm oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Family loves me, but they don't necessarily want to know how my mind works. <laughs> <laughs> but what inspires you? How do you come up with these, you it's know? It's a my series. You know? Okay. No, that's a very, very fair question. I am a, by um, uh, avocation and now profession, a storyteller. That's what I do. I can also speak, but even there, yeah. I tell a lot of stories. I mean, everyone does and they yeah. should. Um, I knew that, so my first book, my first completed book was nonfiction, right? Slightly different process than my fiction. Sure. And because I'm United Methodist, I felt it would be really interesting and something I would be able to use later, as well as turn it to the dissertation committee. I could publish it and use it in the Methodist church. Yeah. Um, so, but, so I started thinking, well, United Methodist Women, which is an organization in United Methodist Church, built on their tradition of extremely active Christian women in social justice, because John Wesley, in fact, my, one of the one act plays that I wrote and present is as uh, Susanna Wesley, his mother, which was the founding of Methodism. Anyway, social justice is, is an extremely high motivation in the Methodist Church, but I'll tell you what, Pardon my word, I hope it doesn't bother you, but I suck at missions. I'm so bad. I only have recently, like in this past six months, become, I always vote, yes. but I've only become socially active because of the Black Lives Movement and yeah. seeing, I, I got to do something to help, right? But before then, it just wasn't really my thing. So I thought, okay, I know the Methodist women were active in New Orleans with the freed slaves especially with the freed women and their, and their children. Yeah. I thought, okay, I can do that. But it just didn't seem quite right. And, but I was reading up on, on the old missions, right, from the 1800s, and, and I ran across this one article about a building that stands today, because both of the missions rebuilt. Both of them did. And Gum Moon, the one that was the Presbyterian mission, is still there and still operating actively as yeah. a Methodist outreach. And they said their story, and I went, oh, my gosh, what a story. Kidnapped women and brothels and midnight raids, all done by white women, not Arnold Schwarzenegger or Dwayne Johnson, much as I love The Rock, and I do, and I will watch all of his movies. <laughs> this was just ordinary white women like me. Wow. So, so, and so, so I put it together and wrote the book. So Chris, so it's your stories, um, is it women themed? It's a lot of your, um, your books um, based on women, heroine, like women who are kind of like, yes, that's like makers. Yes. It sounds like there's like a, a theme here that I'm hearing. So I don't know if it's, oh. wow, that's amazing. What's that? You know what? I never thought about that, but you're absolutely right. Even oh. my, my, no, you're right. Never thought yeah. about it. Even at my, my Christian fiction series, right? Just finished up the third book. Yeah. It's called Grace from Darkness. My heroine oh. is, uh, is Grace O'Connell. Yeah. And um, it's first person because, you know, that's how I can get into the story. And Grace's character arc is, is first terror because she's introduced. 
that monsters are real because these are supernatural yeah. thrillers, right? Yeah. Um, in the first book, it's sorceresses and old Indian magic and serpents, and it's all taken from Cherokee legends of the Appalachians. Uh, second one, off to England and Scotland, and that's taken from legends of returning ghosts because I always start with the real thing. And yeah. it's all set in the 1920s. And she's still mad at God that she has to do this, but she's feeling a little more competent, you know, because mm -hmm. she's with her friends and they face this supernatural evil and in, in uh, by the will of God, and, and they defeat it, right? The third one, she's gotten so comfortable with fighting creatures that she starts to think she's gotten a little cold-blooded and she needs to draw back. So it's actually a character arc in a woman who does not want to do what God wants her to do. Because you don't have to have real monsters to have monsters in your life, right? And, and gets through it. And she's, okay, that's the end. I never have to go through it again. Has to go through it again, and she's more competent. She doesn't love it. The third time, she's like, hey, I can do this. I don't need any help. Wow. You realize that it's twisting you around as a person. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they're fun. They're fun because yeah. I love monster movies and stories, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, that's Grace's character arc. And I never thought until you just said that, that, yeah, I'm most interested in women, Christian women, who are making changes. I love that. I love Thank that. That's that really blessed me. Thank you. I, I love that, that. Chris. And, and, I, and I think especially now, I really believe that this is a season where a lot of women are rising up to, be, to really yes. transform society. And I've met uh, many of them um, throughout my journey. And I've just, I'm just so excited that you're one of the change makers. Oh, I believe that your books will inspire um, women to step outside of their comfort zone and, and do things yes. um, with God's help because I truly believe that we are more powerful than we think we are. So Chris, tell us, you know, what was the biggest challenge you faced as an entrepreneur and how did you overcome it? The symptom, which now I know it was a symptom of something deeper, was, was money. I actually made good money every year that I was copywriting, um, well over 50,000, sometimes close to 100. But I still felt poor all the time. Part mm. of it was because it was feast or famine, and that is hard to manage. There are ways, but it is difficult to manage. And so I didn't spend much. I never had credit card debt to speak of. But what I did do was run into trouble with my taxes. Yeah. Not that I was ever trying to cheat because the IRS catches up with you, believe me. Uh, but I would underpay because I didn't know how my son and I were going to pay rent because it was the third month and a bad three months. Mm. Um, it's okay, I'll, I'll catch up next month, fully meaning to do so. And I didn't. And I'll tell you what, I did that for 15 years. Wow. That is pathological. That's really crazy. I was doing it anyway because each time it came to the moment of decision, I was like, oh, I can't. I don't know what to do. I can't pay my bills. I'll do it next month. Wow. Now, of course, that's crazy, which is why I, I owe a lot of back taxes. I worked at the IRS and Stalin, yeah. you know, you think I would have seen it. And I didn't. Not until about a year and a half ago, when I was starting to suspect something, you know, duh. I mean, you think when you go around like this, you can suspect it. Suddenly I thought, I'm scared all the time about money. I don't care if I'm making a lot or I'm making nothing. I'm always scared. Mm. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if I'm dealing with a stronghold. Mm. So and the next week I taught a Bible, women's Bible study for 13 years, only stopped because of COVID. And one of my students said, Chris, who was a prayer and a prophet, and she said, Chris, are you dealing with the spirit of fear? And I went, 
Yes. <laughs> so the next year and a half was a tremendous growth and pitched battle against the spirit of fear. Mm -hmm. And I only, it was always progress. I knew there was progress, but I really only got over the worst of it of maybe six weeks ago. And finally started, it's so silly at age 66, but there you are, started to pay all my taxes, to save everything, to save what I'm supposed to on top of my tithe. Because although yeah. we're not under Mosaic law, I do believe that 10% is a good sacrificial number yeah. and I do that. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you're going to have to support me. I'm, I'm just going to do the right thing. And yeah. uh, the client's not coming in. But you know what? We just keep going. Yeah. And... I don't feel I have any less money than I did before when I was keeping all of it because I was scared I couldn't pay my bills. Yes. So the spirit of fear is huge. And that is why, and you may just be about to ask me this, that is why the most important thing and how I work individually with people in a small group, smaller group settings, just starting that actually, yes. is to say, yeah, your business is important. It's perfectly great. In fact, you should. Pray for God to bless you. Pray for discernment. He knows what you need. But I got to tell you, your business cannot be the most important thing to you. And a lot of entrepreneurs say, well, my business is the most important thing because I'm doing it for God, because I'm going to make a lot of money and be able to get it to missions. Mm -hmm. And they maybe do, a lot of people do, but I'll tell you what. If God isn't the most important thing, he's not going to bless that business. Mm -hmm. And all the money in the world is only going to wrap you up in strings and threads of pull tight. Yes. You must seek God first. Yes. Then he will add these things unto you. Yes. You know, I, I love that you mentioned that. And sometimes, too, we have to check our motives because there I know people, and I was one of them, where I was seeking God because I wanted the blessing, right? So your motive isn't to seek God yes, yeah. to get stuff from him, but your motive is to seek God because you want to truly know him and build a relationship with him. I saw a difference in my life as far as peace, as far as provision, as far as you know, being able to rest and, and removing stress and all that stuff is when I truly genuinely seek him to seek him versus trying to just check him off my list and be like, okay, did that, you know, all right, exactly. okay, now what's the blessing, people, you know, because I think that's where you have to be careful because I, I, I know, and mind you, not, you know, I'm sure ministers don't purposely try to say, okay, seek God, so everything that you want will come to you, you know, I don't think they purposely say, try to mislead them, but I think it's, we have to have some wisdom and some clarity on what that principle means. You know, when you yes. seek God and you, you, when you put him first, because you are his child, he is going to take care of everything for you. You know, he's going to take care of everything you need. And when we remove the reins, um, taking control over our lives and give it to him, he, now he's responsible for caring for you and the vision God has given you because a lot of times too, and Chris, I know you, you see this from time to time, is like we think that it's his vision, but it's really our vision that we're trying to fulfill. And, yes. and it's not really from God. So, you know, seeking God, I think it's not a, it's, it's a, it's, it's deep calls out to deep. That's what I'm hearing. You know, it's not something like superficial. It's right. very intentional. And you right. really have to dig deeper, not just reading the Bible, but truly like, God, show me who you are through your word. Show me 
how to, how to see myself through your word. Show me how to see my situation through the word. So, you know, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because I think that's really important. Um, it is. So, You're so, absolutely right. Well said. Yep. So can you tell us an example of how you incorporate um, biblical principles in your business and just in life in general? Sure, of course. Um, I uh, obviously could not speak directly about Christ to my clients, although it happened more than once that they turned out to be Christian and we were both doing the, the phone dance, <laughs> right? Yeah, so question, draw back to the next call, you know, and, and some of us turned out to be believers. Um, so that was always cool, but always, always, always putting God in charge of the business. Now that sounds like such a cliche and it can be. What I mean by that is that if he can just bless the little that I can do, like I said, never been a great marketer. I'm not a business coach for a really good reason. Cause I, I'm really good at what I do. I'm really not good at the business around it. And it is, I'm serious, a miracle of God that kept me going and, you know, making it as a solopreneur for all those years and still is. When I'm a type B personality, doesn't like marketing and I don't like working that hard, but I'm here, right? <laughs> I'm here and I'm going to stay here as long as God wants me to be. So that was always the case that if God, God gave me this ability to work from home a whole lot for my son, me too. I also believe that entrepreneurial businesses are are meant to be the bleeding edge of spiritual growth. That's why they're not just a money-making machine so you can get to missions. If God wants you to be generous, and we're all supposed to be generous, great. But he wants you. He wants you before he wants your business. He wants you to know him before you can go run off and do great stuff for him that incidentally makes you rich. Oh, good. You know, it's just yeah. So now, now when I am, as I'm transitioning and I'm almost full-time, probably three quarters into it now, transitioning to full-time uh, uh, book writing, because I'm just going to keep going along on that, as long on that as I can. Um, and I'm going to say teaching, because the speaking is really off the table for right now. So I'm just starting. Uh, I'll offer it in October and some beta groups, test groups in, in September. Um, workshops for people, my second nonfiction book, my third really, my second full-length nonfiction book will be on the power of imaging prayer, which is a classical Christian practice that dates back in letter writing to the fourth century mm -hmm. and the sixth century was detailed. Um, so it's not new, it's not weird, but a lot of Protestant churches lost track of it, right? Yeah. So I'm teaching a very, very old type of Christian contemplative prayer. Anyway, there's a huge journey around, around my teaching imaging prayer. God gave me, oh, I've always had a huge imagination. And yeah. I've been doing imaging prayer myself since my 30s. And um, what that is, is using the imagination and inviting the Holy Spirit to join you in that. Mm. Often starting with the Bible itself. So like you are at the feeding of the 5,000. You're not just reading about it or even picturing what it looks like. You imaginatively put yourself on one of those low rising hills. In your imagination, you can hear Jesus, who miraculously was able to speak to 7,500, almost 10,000 people, counting the women and children. Mm -hmm. and you can hear him and you can receive that, that fish and that bread and the basket you thought would run out before it got to you, and all of a sudden it's full. 
you are there. Yeah. And you can also do it, like my, um, one of my go-to imaginative settings is that I'm backpacking because I think of this world as my journey towards heaven. It's important. I'm important in here to do God's work, yeah. but I don't belong here. So a lot of mine are backpacking. I have all sorts of adventures, some of them funny, sometimes scary, some of them serious, sometimes hilarious, but God meets me and it becomes a visualized prayer. Anyway, so I did this for myself and I started offering it at, at God's will to friends a couple years ago, I guess. No, no payment. I was really very nervous about that. Didn't want to do it. Just friends. And as God led me. So then a year ago, my friends kept saying, Chris, God wants you to do this with other people. And that means in order to keep doing it, I would have to have some sort of payment for it. I was like, no, I can't be paid for a gift. Now, I know that the laborers were they were hired. I know that, but I was so scared. Turns out it was all a bunch of false humility, but at the time I thought it was being really holy or something. Yeah. And God just through a series of miracles, um, other people saying, Chris, you need to, Chris, God told me to help you with the marketing, told you I suck at it. Um, Chris, we're praying for you, time for you to do this. And finally said, Lord, do you want me to do this? He's like, yes. <laughs> okay. So now I'm starting to teach people how to do personal imaging prayer, which will change your life. Yeah. A lot of people say that, but I mean it. It's amazing stuff. Yeah. And I'm not so sure about this one, but I believe God is calling me this way. Discerning people, discerning uh, for Christian entrepreneurs. Now I say, cause I'm not a coach. I'm not strategic. I'm horrible. You do not want to ask me how to do it, but you may want to ask me to help you to pray for the discernment of prophecy you need about business decisions. Yeah. But I still need, still needs to be at the will of God, but yes, that's there too. Oh my gosh. You know, the reason I was smiling like from <laughs> ear to ear is because I went to Israel, um, actually after my divorce years ago, I think 2012 and I was there for 30 days and exactly what you said, like you, I would go on the mountain and I just didn't read the Bible, but I would imagine myself and I kid you not, it was such a healing process for me. Cause you know, I was just, I was, I was really broken. I mean, I, I was with my ex for 10 years. And so it was really hard transition, especially from abuse and literally betrayed by the person that I truly loved the most, you know? Um, and so my point was like, I remember doing that and I would just like, and it was so real. Like it's, I can't even. Because it, it, it is real because God transcends space and time. Yes, yes. And like literally, I mean, I can't tell you how many visions I, I, I call it visions, but things where I walk. Well, that's what they are. Like Jesus. Jesus and I walked along the beach. I mean, literally, I I ran on top oh. of water. And then people are going to listen to be like, what in the world is she talking about? I saw the fishes underneath me and it was so bright. And there were thousands of fishes. Wow. And it was just like chills. beautiful. And I remember, I remember, and I could never forget, and I'm going to bring in tears because really this is so real to me. And, I, and I'm, I'm just saying that you do what you do what God has called you to do because I've experienced it in my life and it transformed my life. Oh. Um, I remember, I remember one time. Um, I'm sorry, but this is, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm sorry. This is so special to me. I remember one time when I was going through the toughest season of my life, and I just sat there and I was just like, 
just, you know, in that, and the Lord gave me this vision of me um, sitting on the beach. And I remember I was um, walking with Jesus. Well, first I was sitting on the beach and then I stood up and because I, I, I saw his hand and he grabbed me and he walked to, on the beach along me. And I, I remember I was tears and he was just holding my head. And then mm-hmm. finally I saw it myself again. I was holding his arms so like tight. And I remember I, I looked up and I saw his smile and then I started seeing my smile. Like I've never seen my smile ever like that, but my smile was like this. Wow. And I remember I was walking and then I was looking down and I saw an oyster and I opened it up and he, and I opened it up and it was this brightest pearl. And I remember when I opened it, it was this pearl and he lifted my head and he, I turned my oh. head to the left and I saw millions of pearls like all across the sand, seashore. And I remember he told me that's all for you. And oh. then he told me to follow him and he was in the middle of the ocean uh-huh. and he said, come. And I just ran to him. And that's the time when I was running towards him. And, um, and I remember I looked down and I saw all the fishes and then there was a rowboat right next to me. He sat on the rowboat and he told me to come and he was rowing the boat for me. And I remember I was just sitting there, I was just so happy. And then he told me, he was like, and I asked the Lord, I was like, can I row the boat? And I remember, <laughs> I, grabbed, I grabbed the boat, the, the, the rower, the paddle things and I was rowing and I saw just in there's a land. And I was like, what's that? He told me, that's your promised land. Don't give up. Oh, oh don't give up. And I was just like, like that, like I said, a deep, and I don't have time to go my testimony. It was the deepest time, the hardest time of my life. And he stood up. And I remember I was like, no. And I remember I hugged him really tight. I didn't want him to leave. And yeah. he, said, he said, don't leave me. And I was crying, like ugly cry. Don't cry, don't leave Yeah, me. yeah. And he told me, I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. And then he disappeared. But then when I looked down, I saw my Bible. And it was that Bible and it was that Bible. This is 2012, right? So it's been eight years. Mm -hmm. Every Mm -hmm. time when I just, you know, need a hug or just need God, because I went through a lot of serious Christ, you know, challenges in my life. I would just hug that Bible and I would just experience. Anyway, I'm just sharing this because I'm saying, Chris, like what you said, you know, like the body of Christ is missing out. Yes. They're missing out on something that is bigger than what the four walls of the church can offer. Like there's more levels to him. And I'm curious, I want to encourage you guys, brothers and sisters who are listening. There is more to him than what you see in the church service. Yes. You know, he, he's, he's so many layers. I'm just encouraging guys to go deeper. So thank you for sharing that. And I definitely want to, um, talk about that man time is going by quick here um yeah. so let's, yes. <laughs> and I just like, like, I'm like, oh. I'm like I was like oh, so this is I, I thank you for sharing that so let's kind of wrap it up a little bit so can you tell us um you know what is your personal mantra what what do you live by is there like what is the 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 principle that you live by like how you live your life it's I have generalized decide generalized generalized anxiety disorder. Golly, I can remember it. I do take medication for that, yeah. right? Um, but it just makes me normal so I can feel anxiety like normal people do. So it's still, I could still a bad habit I can have. So for me, the verse has always been, it still is from Philippians, be 
don't be anxious about anything, but mm -hmm. in everything, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will fill your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And man, I say that to myself five times a day sometimes, but amen and amen. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. That is so such a beautiful verse. And especially if you had, you know, a lot of challenges in your life and a lot of heartbreak and things like that, you know, or even just any, you just need direction. I mean, his promise is that he, yes. he will give us direction. He will give us wisdom. He's not going to just leave you dry, you know, and think, oh, you're on your own, Edna. You're on your own. And I, and I noticed this, and I'm, and I'm sure for those who have asked the Lord for direction, he's never wrong, <laughs> ever. No, 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 he's not. One, one of my good friends uh, calls God the God of the midnight hour, um, right? Sometimes he seems less than it. And um, yeah, and sometimes, you know, we're asking and we're desperate for the answer and we need it. I mean, this isn't, do I get a, you know, 60 inch giant TV? It's, this is an extremely important thing, Lord, I, I have to know. And we don't hear him. Yeah. And that's when we need to trust the most. To say in your silence, I believe, That's and um, I, we all have stories like this, but I walk my dog every day, I live in a mountain town, right? So um, we're on trails, and Wrightwood is uh, usually very bright and sunny and really beautiful, but today, that day was very foggy, and the fog had come rolling in. I knew where I was, I wasn't worried about getting lost, but I could see maybe two footsteps ahead of me. And I had to be careful with a, a very excited, very strong dog. You know, we were going down some hills and some downward trails. And I thought to myself, I said, you know what? This is what this question is like, because I had a question with God at that moment. And I thought, I can't see ahead, but God can. I know the trail's there. I know this trail. I walk it every day. I know it's there. I'll be fine. And boy, was that helpful. And that was a real thing that translated into a picture. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Wow. So once uncertainty is an edge of spiritual growth. It's incredibly important that we experience sometimes. That's right. Uncertainty and the silence. That's right. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Yes. God says. And you're right. And I'm glad you pointed that out because a lot of times people think that you, that you have to know everything, like every single thing. And a lot of times he won't show you everything. He'll show you bits and That's right. And he says, take this step, then I'll show you the next step. Take this other step, then yes. I'll show you the next step. Um, and a lot of people, you know, are the great men and women of faith in the Bible, a lot of them, you know, just followed God's leading. And, you know, they didn't know what was going to happen. And, and, and that's really, I really believe that that's, that's really, and I, just, I forgot which, which verse it is, but it was talking about, he, he counts it us as righteousness when we believe, when we just believe him. When he, yes. when he basically yes. just believe him, you know, just believe him. You know, it sounds so simple, right. but it, you just have to believe him. That's it. He just wants you to believe him. That's he's right. not a liar. He loves us so much. His character, he's always the same yesterday. Today, yes, he's tomorrow. not a liar. You're he's right. Not a and sometimes liar. we think he is, right? Or, or the, our emotions do. And God I, understands that too. And he yes. loves us and he's gentle, but it, it yes. is a lie. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't hear me. It is a lie. It is. That's it right. is. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed um, my time with you, um, Dr. Chris. And oh, I did too. It's, it's, it's such a privilege. Can you tell us, our listeners how they can connect with you and talk about, you know, your your um, that special event that you have going on? If 
is that open to the public or is that just something locally? Just share a little bit about what- Oh, no, it, okay, go ahead. Sure, sure, um, thank you. And I know you'll have the links um, yes. um, on the uh, show notes. But the two things that I would like people to know is, uh, first of all, the books, which heaven knows I talked about them a lot. They're available on Amazon, and I will put in, if it's okay with you, I'll yes. put in their links, right, yes, to Amazon, uh, both Kindle and paperback versions. And honestly, uh, a lot of my Christian friends do not read the supernatural thrillers, even though they're Christian and have a sense of humor, because they just don't like scary books, and that's totally <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah, you do. If you like your monsters with a sense of humor, you'll like these. Um, and uh, when the devil came down to Chinatown is is one of them, and that's the yeah. nonfiction book I talked about. So always happy for people to read my books. Um, speaking, not really doing that now. I can live stream to churches. I preach, and one of the things that I do, in fact, is my preference, is to do the one act plays that I mentioned. They're about forty five minutes to an hour, depending. And I wrote these. These are about the great women of faith. So Susanna Wesley yeah. is one of them. John Wesley's mother. Yeah, just hilarious. Um, very bossy. Very bossy. But boy, did she love God and love those kids. And she's from uh, the 1760s. So women those days weren't supposed to be bossy. She was mm -hmm. anyway. This fabulous. And um, Carrie Davis, who's one of the two supervisors of the missions that I talked about in uh, late 1800s, mm -hmm. uh, San Francisco. She was the supervisor of the mission. And I tell about the rescues and Love the that. walk through the burning city to safety. So that's first person. Uh, there are a couple of others as well. Elizabeth Elliot, who in the 1950s, her husband and several other young Christian men went to Ecuador to witness to a violent tribe. The tribe was named the Alca. That wasn't their actual name, but that was their nickname of the surrounding tribes. It meant destroyer. They were so violent that they were also destroying themselves. And there were maybe 60 people left in the tribe because they kept killing each other as well as everyone else. Well, they killed the missionaries, murdered them right on the beach. The uh, Elizabeth, the wife of one of them and the sister of the other, Rachel Saint, and um, Elizabeth's child stayed close at a mission, sta mission station. And one day, one of the Alka women walked out of the jungle and said, I want to know Jesus. I want to so I'll spend a year with them. I want to know Jesus. Oh, love that. I want to know Jesus. So these, because the women were also learning their language at the right. same time. So these stories are all based on real um, women. This is exactly, yes, Elizabeth Elliot wrote a series of books and a very good movie yes. called At the End of the Year and Through the Gates of Splendor. She, these are all real people. That's awesome. And the, yeah, so, yeah. Go ahead. And the actual, um, the, um, I think you call, what did you call it? Uh, it wasn't a mastermind, but what did you call it? That group, workshop, the workshop that you do? Yes, that's, that's the third thing. That? That's the third thing. So mm -hmm. we've got books, actual speaking, which yes. is also plays and storytelling. The yes. third is finally, finally, teaching personal imaging prayer. And that's actually what I have the, the, um, the link towards. Got because it. Because well, you can, if you click that, and I was spent the morning putting it together and I was sure it wouldn't work, but amazingly enough, it actually does. Yes. If you click that link, it takes you to my website, which yeah. has the download link. There you can sign up for my email list, which I'm lucky if I get out to a month, it will never, ever, ever in a million years overwhelm you. Yeah. But you can get my other nonfiction book, which is 60 pages. 
And that teaches you imaging prayer and guides you through about seven or eight meditations based on the life of Christ. So the birth of Christ, a 12-year-old boy in the temple, the feeding of the 5,000, uh -huh. the uh, crucifixion, the resurrection, allows you to enter into each of these stories and meet Christ there where he really do, was. Do you have an audio book version for your book? Strange you should say that. I just, because we did not talk about that. I just recorded my first novel and the audio version is coming out. I love I'm going to do the same with all of them. I think the yeah. next one I'm going to do is um, um, The Devil Came Down to Chinatown. Now, The Living Story, which is the one I just was talking about, I'm going to have you download a PDF, right? So, okay. of course, you have to pay for it. But that one is a bigger project because I'm going to do guided prayers and meditations yeah, yeah. Um, instead of only narrating the text. Yeah. But since I'm already a storyteller and actress, yeah. I'm narrating my own, and that's really fun too. A lot of work. Oh my gosh. You are, I just love you. Like seriously, your story, you your, your everything. I mean, it's just, um, oh my gosh. I'm, I'm very inspired, you know. I'm glad. You know how nervous I was. I'm not oh, nervous. Yeah on platform, but I'm like, it's Zoom. Oh, I made a mistake. A cat's going to jump on my head. I, she's not going to like me. I was so nervous. Oh, you are man. wonderful. You are so gifted in encouragement. I'm guessing that exhortation slash encouragement is one of your spiritual gifts because that just flows through everything. And pro prophecy as well, I should think, because you were serious of visions. But yeah, huge pleasure talking to you. It's such an honor um, to have you on our show. And I know our listeners oh, have been genuinely blessed to hear your story and some of the lessons you've learned and, 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 and just, hear, just see the transformation in your life from where you were oh. into where you are now. It's, yeah. I think it's definitely going to encourage. So can you just you know, take a minute, you know, as we wrap up our show, can you just take a few minutes to pray for our listeners and, and, um, and whatever God puts in your heart, and then we'll end our show. Absolutely. My, it will be my honor to do that. Oh, Lord. You purpose all things. And though no evil comes from you or ever could, does anything happen in the city, you say, and I do not know about it. We are not overwhelmed by our circumstances. Or if we are, we sure as heck don't need to be. Fear is not a sin. Jesus was scared when he came up to his passion and his crucifixion, but he did it because God willed it, because that's why he's here, and because of the resurrection. Fear is not a sin, but acting on our overwhelming and fear can be. So, Lord, right now, what I pray for, for everyone listening to this beautiful podcast and I've got chills, which always for me, it, the Holy Spirit is always with us for yeah. believers. He always is. But I'm feeling the power of the Holy Spirit moving. That always represents itself to me in my lungs and in, my, in chills. Mm. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for everyone listening to this podcast. I pray that they take it seriously mm. and take on the, the incredible blessed job of listening to you and coming to know you better and knowing that they can. And I ask, Lord, that every one of these people is a soldier in your vanguard, making your paths straight for the king, raising the valleys, lowering the hills until the king is straight, has straight roads to be in your world. And, oh, Lord, bless them greatly and hugely. And bless Edna in her ministry 
and in her own power, which she knows comes from you. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Family, I just want to thank you guys for tuning in. Dr. Chris, again, thank you for blessing us with your presence. And um, tune in next time, guys, for another episode where we feature men and women of God who have a proven track record and doing business and life God's way. It's been an honor and privilege to be able to share another story with you guys. And I pray that you guys tune in next time. Um, until then, stay shining and stay blessed. Love you guys. Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Estepreneur. Make sure to visit our website, favorandwealth.com, for more information on our services. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help me out too. Also, check out my book, The Ugly Side of Sales, available on Amazon, where I share seven of my secrets on how to win and grow business the right way. Until next time, keep shining. Keep shining.